You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good to see you. Good morning. We all doing well? That's great. If you have a Bible with you, if you would, turn in the New Testament to the book of Philippians. Philippians. We're going to look at chapter 2 of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I wanted to also thank everybody who was praying uh, for our youth ministry as they were in a big uh, in-town conference for high school and middle school students called The Mix. And Josh told me uh, this morning that seven of our youth uh, made commitments to Christ, re- some of them recommitments to Christ, but it's really exciting to hear about. They've had a busy weekend, and uh, so they've been up late talking. And so let me, let me just give you a, a thing. If you see a teenager and they're falling asleep during the sermon, it, it, it's not that bad. They're just tired, and I just want you to know, uh, just as a precursor, because I have a feeling we may lose a few of them this morning. But uh, anyway, so Philippians chapter 2, um, and I want to um, kind of let me, let me read the passage we're going to look at, and then let me kind of catch you up, and, and we'll, we'll get into it. But starting in verse 19, this is Paul writing, and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things are going with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me to spare me sorrow and sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when I see you again, may be glad to have uh, less anxiety. Verse 29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Now, what, what has gone on, if you read the book of Philippians, and let me catch you up because it's, it's kind of important to understand this passage in its context. Paul was, as we have found out, he was in jail when he wrote this. He had been arrested. Back in the old days, when you went to jail, they didn't feed you three squares. Uh, they didn't feed you at all. And if you were going to survive, someone from the outside had to bring you food and had to take care of you. And so this church in Philippi, it was a fairly poor church took up a very large offering for Paul, and this guy named Epaphroditus that he mentions there took it to him. 
And when they got there, Paul was like, wow, they're, they're thinking of me. They're taking care of me. He fed himself. He fed the prisoners that were around there. And he was able to really spread the gospel all throughout the jail and even to the Roman guards that were watching over him because of their generosity. So Paul is, has a companion named Timothy who we're going to find out about. Timothy was his kind of protege, young guy. And Timothy's writing this letter back to this Philippian church that Paul is, is transcribing. And in this letter, um, Paul just begins by praying for them. He thanks them. He talks about uh, his circumstances and how things are going great and the gospel's prevailing despite uh, you know, tough circumstances. Things are really going good. And, and then he begins a, a kind of a 34-verse discussion about unity. This, this takes up a third of this letter. And when you think about the kind of extrapolaneous opening comments and closing comments of a letter, it's a, it's a big concern of his. And so it's a, it's a very valuable uh, book in the Bible because it really gives us a really good long look at this topic of unity and how, it, how it's supposed to look in a church. And he says some really powerful, there's some really powerful verses in this passage about unity. You know, one he says, I want to see in verse 27, I want you to be strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. Strive together as one. I want you to be one. He says a few verses later, one, one. He talks about being one, being united, working together, fighting together, living for each other. And then he gets into this very famous hymn passage that's in the early part of chapter two. It's verse five to I think verse 11 where he talks about Christ and what he was like. And this was an ancient song they sang in the very initial stages of Christianity to understand who Jesus was. And it talked about how Jesus was God, but he laid down his deity, became a human being. And as God, as human being who was God, he did not take advantage of his deity. He didn't exploit his deity you know, to get his own way. He didn't do that. In fact, he took his deity and he depleted it. He poured it out to serve the salvation of the broken, fallen human race. And he says, you and I should have that same mindset Jesus had in our attitudes toward one another. That our possessions, that our position, that who we are, that what we have, we should not use those to elevate ourselves. We shouldn't use those to our own advantage, but we should use those to serve those around us. And he called this having the mindset of Christ, having Christ's mindset. And he's really wanting to see this active in this church. And then he goes on, and last week he talked about unity, and he described it in a really powerful way. He said, look, obey this, live this out, because God is at work amongst you, within you, willing and working his own good pleasure. In, in the Old Testament, when Israel went out to war, they would take this object that was in their temple called the tabernacle, and they would, it would go out before them, and they understood that when that tabernacle was with them, God's presence was with them in battle. And as they went out, they were literally a demonstration of the power of God. That God was demonstrating His power and His presence 
through them as they went out. He was literally among them. And Paul's telling this church, God is within you. God is among you, willing and working his own good pleasure. And he says, because of that, we ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, God's among you. God's within you. Individually, God lives inside you. As a church gathering, God is amongst us. Men, we ought to be working out, working on our salvation. He says, with fear and with trembling. It ought to just be an awesome, incredible thing to us that we're saved. An incredible thing that God is within us. An incredible thing that God is amongst us and wants to demonstrate himself in our community. You know, it's like a, I say, it's, it, there's, it, it, working things out, it's kind of like what we see with, um, with computers. I remember in, when I graduated from college, computer, home computers were just coming out. There were these, and, and those of you my age, handful here that are my age will remember this, uh, they were like little boxes. With, and they were just, they were terrible compared to today. You just, you would type on them and you'd lose stuff and they printed out this kind of dot matrix and you just, but it was the most awesome thing back then. But we kept working on them and they got better and they got better and we could use apps in them and we could do programs in them. And then the internet came along and we could do all kind of wild and crazy things. And then we made it, uh, we, we got laptops and we got, we made them faster and we made them smaller and they just were more better and more compact and we worked them out. And that's how it is with your salvation. Work it out. What God's put in you, work on it, develop it, unpack it, grow it, you will find there is something really amazing waiting to burst out within you. In Ephesians 3, Paul talked about the power of God, and he literally said, He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all you could ever ask or think, according to the power that is at work within you. That's an amazing thing to think about. And so this is how Paul's viewing the church, individuals who had this dynamic going on them, united together, and really united. And, and united means this, one, there is an external functionality. We are working together for the same things. We are on the same page. We know we are working for the purposes of God and the purposes of Christ. But then there's also this internal thing. We have the mindset of Christ, where we are we, we really regard others as more important than ourselves. That mindset internally, and so we are externally functioning together, but internally we are valuing the other, each other more than ourselves. And Paul says, man, you do that, you will be a demonstration of God. You will shine like stars in the sky. It'll be an incredible thing. And this is his vision for this church. And so when he's talking about this mindset that he wants them to have and this attitude and this sort of Christ-like attitude, he talks about a couple guys they knew that were in their midst and, and that, he, that, he, that they had, they're well acquainted with, normal people like them, broken, sinful human beings like them. But he says, I want you to look at this in their life and I want you to mimic it. And let's look at these two guys again. Verse 19, Timothy. He talks about him and he says that he hopes to send him to him. And he says this about him in verse 20. He said, there's no one like him. 
And he says in this way, he was genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuinely concerned. And he says other people, they're concerned, but their interests come first. Listen, everybody here cares about people. Every one of you do. Every one of us do. Human beings care about people. They care about somebody. They care about something. The real question is, do we care more about them than ourselves? What kind of limits do we put on it? Paul said his guy had genuine concern. His concern was authentic. His concern was the real thing. Because when it got down to it, he put others before himself. He didn't just give till it was uncomfortable. He was willing to be uncomfortable and sustain being uncomfortable for a long time, as long as it was for the good of others. You know, there's a, there's a buzzword in Christianity. I always get concerned when you see sort of buzzwords and sort of buzz concepts that arise that aren't necessarily consistent with Christianity. And one word you'll hear Christians talk about a lot is the word margins. There was an excellent book written on that that I think is a great book to read. But I think we can take a great idea that we need margins in our life, scheduling and financial margins and emotional margins, and we can live out a non-Christian Christianity. Listen, nothing significant is ever going to happen in the life of a Christian who lives their life within margins all their lives. Nothing. If you protect your extra time, your extra money, your extra emotions, I assure you, you will live a very unglorifying to God life. It will be a very religious, nice thing. Uh, maybe your family will do real well. I hope it does. But there will be nothing impactful coming from that kind of a life. Nothing. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was sweating blood. He wasn't going, oh, shoot, man, I need some emotional margins here. Paul described himself as a drink offering, poured everything out, everything out. He didn't leave a drop in the bottle. <clears throat> and he's describing these guys, genuine concern, genuine concern. The word in the Greek literally means anxiety, worry. Like he stays up, he thinks, he is not at peace just because things are okay with him. He is not at peace until things are okay with others. Genuine concern. Genuine concern. In 252, a plague broke out in the Roman Empire that they called the Scipian Plague. The Scipian Plague in 252, up to 5,000 people a day were dying in the Roman Empire. The Scipian Plague. Now, why do they name it the Scipian Plague? Now, oddly enough, Scipian, who it was named after, 
was the head bishop of a large city called Carthage. It's across the Mediterranean uh, Sea from, the, from Rome and from Greece. Half a million people, one of the biggest cities in the ancient world, Carthage. And Scipion was the head of the church at Carthage. And what had happened before 252, there was a Roman emperor named Decius who had come to power. And when he came to power, he decided that everybody must must offer incense to him and to the Roman gods. And if they didn't do that, or if there was a religion that objected to that, it was a capital crime. And Christianity for about 50 years had gone without any persecutions at all from the Roman Empire. It had grown. It had gotten organized. And this guy, Decius, unleashed a vicious persecution against Christianity. And as a result, because they weren't ready for it, many Christians renounced their faith rather than die, rather than go to jail, rather than be impaired economically by not not having a live bellus that you could uh, function in their economy. Many of them lapsed and went away. And when the persecution ended, there was a big controversy about all these people that had, you know, turned away from their faith, wanted to get back into the church. And in fact, this guy Scipion was very critical in working out a, a way for that to happen. And he was a great man of God. But when this plague broke out in 252, the city of Carthage, people were leaving. They were getting out of there. The economy went bad. It, people were dying. And Scipion gathered all the Christians, all the church in the middle of the city. This city that had persecuted them, this city that had turned them in to authorities and had, had oversaw and delighted in some of their murderdom and martyrs, martyrdom. And he got together and he said, we are going nowhere. He said, I want everyone here, if you name the name of Christ, to go into the city And when you find the hungry, feed them first. Feed them before you feed yourself. And when you find the sick, take care of them. And when you see the dead, take them out and bury them yourselves. And and the, the church in Carthage rallied around this great leader. And they began to serve this city and serve it. And then the rest of the Roman Empire, other major cities heard about what they were doing. And the Christian faith responded all over the Roman Empire, heroically and bravely, taking care of the sick, feeding the hungry, sacrificing their own well-being for the sake of people who had turned on them and rejected them, were delighting over their murder and their martyr in some cases. The plague stopped. Scipion was leading the church in Carthage. Everything went back to normal. And then in 258, another Roman emperor came to power. A different one. His name was Valerian. And when Valerian came to power, he did the same thing that the uh, Decius had done before him 10 years earlier. And the first person he wanted to confront was Scipion. He brought Scipion before him. And and Scipion would not renounce his faith, and he defied him openly. And so he had the guards take Scipion out to the center of the city, and they killed him with a sword. 
right there on the spot. A massive persecution broke out again against Christianity. Only this time, the Roman government and the Roman guard found a church that was strong, that was authentic, that stood their ground. And as the people of the Roman Empire saw their faith and saw their courage and remembered those that had served him, they stood with those guys. And many of them converted to Christianity despite the price they would pay. And Valerian backed off. He thought, I have unleashed a monster. And he began to realize, and it was, it was when it began to occur to the Roman Empire the Christian faith is taking us over. We can't stop this thing. And when it is lived out, it is so powerful. And this is Paul's vision that you and I would live this. We would be in the army of God, marching with the tabernacle, with God's presence, demonstrating his power in a community. But not a war that's military, but a war of love, a war of, of truth. This is his vision for these people. Man, I want you united like this. Have this kind of a soul. We look here at this other guy he lists here. Paphroditus. Paul calls him in verse 25 his brother, his co-worker, his fellow soldier. He had a dearness with this guy. And they worked together and they fought together. Soldier. Talks about how he cares for your need. Paphros, we realized, had gone and he had, uh, when he was bringing this gift from the church of Macedonia to Paul in Rome, to the Roman prison, while he was going, he got deathly sick. Maybe he got malaria or something. But instead of stopping and resting and recuperating, he stayed on his horse with a horrible temperature and God knows what else going on in his body. And he just kept going. And he just kept going because he had to get that gift from them to Paul. And he got there and Paul was like, oh my gosh, he's going to die. They had to take care of him and revive him. Finally sent him back. This kind of young man he was. He just committed. He was willing to play hurt. He fought through pain and trouble and difficulty to fulfill his mission. And Paul says this about him. He risked his life. He risked his life, risked his well-being, put himself out there on the line, put him out there. There was a writer, Simon Sinek, wrote a book. It's called Leaders Eat Last. He quoted a U.S. general who said that the, the price of being a leader is your self-interest. You want to be a really good leader? Get rid of your self-interest. That's what it costs you. That's the price. You really must care about those under your care. This is what he's talking about with this guy. Risked his life. Went all the way. Held nothing back. You know, when I look at our church, and he says, you know, honor people like this. Celebrate them. 
You know, I see, I see this, and it's a powerful thing. I, 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 my wife, I am so proud of, lives this. From 7 in the morning till late at night, every day, she's meeting with girls. She's getting people through problems. She's leading Bible studies. She's sharing her faith. She meets somebody at a gym, somebody, and, just an, and she's chasing them down to tell them about Christ. She is just absolutely committed to the well-being of our church. Absolutely pours herself out for other people. I see somebody else, Josh Rogers on our staff. Josh leads our youth ministry. Josh graduated from Georgia, did an internship with a college ministry for a year, came to us and wanted to help us start a youth ministry. We did not have a youth ministry in our church. Back then, we had, you know, my dear friend Lee Davis will tell you, we, we couldn't rub two nickels together. We could barely, I mean, every month it was like, okay, we didn't go under that month. Let's, it was literally like a, we were just, you know, on water. And, and we couldn't do anything for him. And Josh just said, our church needs a youth pastor. With a college degree from Georgia, he had offers to work at different churches. Over, he would get several offers. It scared me to death. But he spent, I think, three years working two different jobs here in town, working at a restaurant, working here, working there, being a substitute teacher. Oh, my God. Could you imagine, you know, doing these kind of things until we were able to barely pay him, and he just stayed with it. But that's, that's someone who says, hey, I'll risk my life, risk his well-being for the sake of the gospel. I mean, this week I was... You know, our church has an eldership. We had uh, our elders. We had Lily. You know, there's, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you don't do anything. Monday through Thursday, our elders, three of those nights were in meetings for three hours at night with families. Important meetings, giving themselves to the gospel, risking themselves, risking themselves. You know, last Christmas, there's a couple in our church that just got married not too long ago. And, uh, you know, when you're a um, young groom, your first year, you just, you just want to impress your, your wife real bad. That's just what you want to do. Everybody remember young guy? I mean, older guys kind of give me a little love here. Just shake your head. You remember what you just want to just, you know, show her that she got a winner. And... Uh, <laughs> One day, well, one day you will be one, you know, it's just, and, um, and you, you know, you just, you, you want to do that. And I know uh, this, at the end of the year, they had some extra money. And he was thinking about buying his wife some real nice earrings. And as they prayed about it, you know they said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. A couple thousand extra dollars, they said, we're not going to do that. We want to see, are there any needs in our church at Christmas time? Any needs? They came to us and we shared a couple. One of them was a a teenage girl in our church. Mom had her when she was sixteen. She has 11 half-brothers and sisters. 
in our schools here, 4-0 GPA, good kid, tough kid. There's nights when she goes to bed, there's no running water in the house. A lot of nights there's no power in the house. She wants to go to an excellent college. That's all she wants to do. You realize how hard that is, living in those kind of circumstances, competing against kids like you, our college kids, from the background some of us have had? Private schools, laptops, computers, tutors, SAT. They found out about her. Bought her an Apple laptop for Christmas. Others more important than you. This couple gave up having pretty earlobes to make a difference. To tell a girl fighting the world, Jesus loves you, and so does your church. We're with you. We're behind you. It's a demonstration of God in this community. I want to read you a letter that our hero of the day, Scipion, actually wrote to a friend of his named Donatus. Again, from the mid-200s. He's writing to Donatus, and he says this. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. Writing a letter from a real beautiful garden. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked over the whole wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Thieves on the high road, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds, and under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It's a really bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet in the midst of it, I have found a genuine and distinct people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasures of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. A genuine and a distinct people that have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasures of this sinful life. They are Christians, and I am one of them. Are you one of them? Are you? Are you a genuine and distinct Christian? 
Is your life a demonstration of Christ? Where you work, where you play, where you recreate, where you live, in your fraternity, in your sororities, in your clubs, are you a genuine, authentic representation of him? It's a priceless thing. It's a priceless thing. And as we sit here this morning, I want to encourage you to commit to being that. Commit to being willing to lay down your life, your self-interest, not just to care, but to be willing to take that step to say, I will care about others before myself. I will serve. I am willing to let go of my own selfish rights, and I will genuinely live for him. You know, service for Christ, I remember reading this week, can get paid in two ways. There are some people it gets paid in one check. They lay their life down, boom, they are martyred and they go to heaven. That's a martyr's thing. Boom, they just, they write the whole check, one thing. That's probably not going to happen to any of us. For most of us, it's not one check, it is just a bunch of quarters over time. It's just quarters here, and it's quarters there, and it's quarters here, and it's quarters there, and it's a lifetime of quarters. It is a lifestyle of quarters. It is a lifestyle of saying to others, you're more important than me. You first, me second. Listen, God is in you, young people, old people. He is within you to will and to work something fantastic. And I want you to commit to it. Let's commit to it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your voice and your presence amongst us. We thank you for the stories of the past of how when man, the Christian church had moments where they took these admonitions seriously and they stepped into to a vacuum and they served you and they demonstrated you in a powerful way. Father, in our own lives, where we have, have protected ourselves, our money, our emotions, our time, rather than pouring it out for you, I pray you'd convict us. I pray you'd give us balance to live healthy lives, but pray we'd also be willing to pour ourselves out for you and live a lifestyle of quarters here, quarters there, quarters, quarters everywhere, giving our life away, piece by piece. Father, I thank you that you're in our midst, that you're amongst us, willing and working your own good pleasure. Father, give us grace to work out this salvation with fear and trembling. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.